Hi. If you would, take your Bibles and would you turn to Mark chapter 9. Not in Revelation this morning, sorry, I know you've had two straight weeks of that, but uh, here we go. We're going to be back in Mark chapter 9, continuing to go through this uh, selective biography of the life of Jesus, and we're going to be looking at verses 42 to 50, and we really appreciate the the choir and music ministry, and we thank you for all of you who have given to this, uh, the Annie Armstrong Easter offering for North American missions. I also want to mention uh, tonight that we are going to be having a, uh, a members meeting. And that members meeting, one of the things that we're going to be de- uh, talking about is um, moving forward with uh, putting solar panels on it. And so um, that's not free. That's, it's going to be an upfront cost before the rebate of 171000 to be able to put on this building as well as the um, the Mission House and the South House. And so we, we hope that you will come, especially given the, the amount. We hope that you'll come. We hope that you'll ask questions. But please keep in mind that this is one of the reasons that we have a business meeting is that it provides all of you as members to be able to have a voice, to be able to ask questions, and to be reminded that all of the stuff that we do here does not happen with just a few people behind closed doors. We want to make sure transparency, transparency, transparency. That's why we have these meetings once a month. So we hope that if you're a member, that you will come and be a part of it, hear what's going on, so that we can all make informed decisions and move forward together as a body of believers. And now, on to the sermon. Would you stand as we look at Mark chapter number 9, again, looking at verses uh, 42 to the end of the chapter, verse 50. This is the word of the Lord. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go into hell, to the unquenchable fire. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. I don't think there is any question that in our culture that we have lost the concept of sin. But that doesn't concern me nearly as much is that I believe we've lost the concept of sin within our churches. We, we this past Friday, well, two Fridays ago, as the case may be, and this past Sunday, we observed Good Friday, even celebrated it, and we celebrated Easter Sunday. But that was not merely Jesus showing us an example of what it means to be a good person, a selfless person, a sacrificial person. There was a purpose behind that, and that purpose was to rescue us, to save us 
from our sins. Christmas was all about that. You, you will call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. And so sometimes when people look at sin, what they end up looking at is, well, um, I, I sin, but I'm not as bad as that guy. Or some people say, well, I'm really not a sinner at all. I've made a mistake, I've goofed, I've oops, but sin, no, it's not that bad. And so what happens is, is that our view of sin gets to where it is because of our view of God. If we believe that God in heaven is basically a glorified Santa Claus, then we're not going to see sin really that bad. But if we see that Jesus Christ in heaven is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he is holy, 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 then we're going to look at our sin very differently. In fact, I think we were, when we were going through our Knowing God study in Sunday school, and by the way, you're missing out on Sunday school if you're not coming. I, I, I hope that there's a way that if you don't come that you're able to, because we're going through a study now of knowing God, about knowing God, and everything based, it, it changes on one word. There's a difference between knowing about him and knowing him. And when you start to know him and the power of his resurrection and fellowship with his sufferings, and all of a sudden you realize that what you have on this earth is going to blow away. But only what matters is our relationship with Christ because it's the riches in heaven that will last, not the riches that are here upon this earth. And so when we look at the holiness of God and we see our own sinfulness in the meantime, one of the things that came up was is that maybe that's when we're asking people to read their Bibles, that, that that's why it's so hard for people to read their Bibles is because they may, they may like seeing who God is, but they sure don't like seeing who they are. And that things need to change, but that's a change for the better. Not all change is bad. The title of the sermon actually comes from uh, an old Puritan that lived by the name of John Owen. He lived from 1616 to 1683. I love that. You know, well, that's an old, old fellow. Why are we looking at somebody? Hey, the gospel doesn't change. Christ doesn't change. The good news doesn't change. Our need for salvation doesn't change. The fact that he's returning does not change. But he wrote in his book, The Mortification of Sin, the full quote is, do you mortify, meaning do you kill it? Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin. Be killing sin. Or sin will be killing you. Do you believe that? I hope that our actions Monday through Saturday show that. Jesus here, every time I I read a passage like this, Jerry Springer, right, I know it. I get it. (laughs) But those of you who may have been, may have had a bad day, Jerry Springer, former mayor of Cincinnati turned talk show, if you want to call it that, yell show host. Do you know, remember how he ended? I know you're not going to admit that you watched it, but do you remember how he ended his shows? Take care of yourselves and each other. See, none of you are going to admit it. I watched it once. Take, but he always, he always said it, take care of yourselves and each other. So what he would do is these shows would be just basically everybody throwing rocks at each other until the very end when he would try to moralize everything that he was doing. You guys need to take care of yourselves and each other. 
I wish that hadn't come from his mouth because that's exactly what Jesus is basically telling us to do, but he's coming at it from a way different angle. You look at verse 42, and this is the first thing we see. Are, are, are your actions, number one, are your actions causing a fellow Christian to sin? Verse 42, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. See, the thing is, is that we spend a lot of time really thinking about ourselves. We think about ourselves, you know, we want to make sure our actions are right, our thoughts are right. But then sometimes we just have a bad day or a bad week. Every so often we're getting together with a, uh, with, with a class and I always ask them, tell me something good that happened to you today. And if it's really been a bad day, then track back a couple of days, track back a week, find, find something. Because what, it, what it, we end up ha- doing is, is we, we, we kind of get into a valley, we get into a, a problem area where it's like people just bother us. We don't want to interact with anybody. We're, we're, we're so, and you're like, because we don't like ourselves sometimes. And we're, we're expecting other people to make us feel better about ourselves. Well, they're feeling terrible too. Well, why in the world? And then all of a sudden, our thoughts go to a certain place and your thoughts are seeds for actions and your words. And, and so all of a sudden, when you, you have that resistance lowered, then all of a sudden the stuff that you were thinking, but you would never say it at church or you would never say it in a certain area, boy, you get into, a, you get into an area and all of a sudden you're going to let some of that stuff fly. And what can happen is, is that we can cause other people to stumble. That word, to cause someone to sin, is actually one Greek word, scandalon. Does that sound like a familiar English word? Scandal? It's a scandal. We, we are scandalous and how our actions can cause someone else to sin. Every so often I hear about couples that, you know, they're, they're, maybe their spouse wants to go to church, but they won't, the other spouse won't let them. You're causing your spouse to sin. Or you may be saying something to someone that you don't want to act like that. You don't want to give that amount of money to God's work and all that. No, no, no. You got to be practical. You might need it later. You may be causing somebody else to sin. Or what happens if there is a church that comes along and doesn't want to preach about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ because of sin? And they don't want to talk about sin. Well, you may be, and that church may be causing someone and scandalously causing someone to say no. All of these things come along, and we have to make sure that we are not causing each other to sin. That's what these little ones are, children of God, children of God who are humble in the faith, because our aim is to, is to be disciples, to be disciples who are helping make disciples, And when we look to connect all people to the truth and hope in Jesus, that's not just a one-time connection. This is our life. We are helping people to do that. So churches and teachers, they remember 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We as churches need to make sure that we're helping you to understand what it means 
to be a, a faithful follower of Jesus and not to give you an out. Because sometimes people use grace like that, don't they? They use grace, the grace that God gives, as an excuse to sin because after all, you know, that, that's what he did for us on the cross. No, the grace was there to free you from sin so that by his grace you'll keep walking in the path that he has for you. We've got to be very careful. Well, what about if it's just, you know, a little bit of, you know, a little bit of gossip? I'm sorry, a prayer request. But what happens if it's a little bit of gossip? What happens if it's a, you know, maybe I'm just having a bad day, a bad attitude? You know, I'm not doing anything to anybody to anybody else. Well, yeah, actually you are. You would be shocked at how contagious a bad attitude is. You would be shocked how, how, how contagious that is to your family, how contagious that is to your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, the people that you work with. You're God's representative in that environment. Did you know that? I was having lunch with somebody the other day, and they, they, they felt just such a strong call. They wanted to be in, in, in ministry, and they wanted to be a, a missionary, and you know, but they're like, but here I am. I, I guess God just has me working in this place. I won't tell you the place, but God just has me working. Well, that's your mission field. Your, your business, your school, wherever you may be, that right there is your mission field. It's the William Wilberforce effect. And if you don't know who William Wilberforce is, he's worth looking up. William Wilberforce was a man who God kept in parliament and he was instrumental in eradicating the slave trade industry in England in the 19th century. But early on in his ministry, he, early on in his, in his life, he felt God calling him to ministry. And he went to John Newton. Yeah, that John Newton, the former slave trader turned preacher. God rescued him from that. And, what, and he goes up to Newton. He's like, I feel God calling me to the ministry. Should I get out of parliament and go be a pastor or should I stay? And Newton says, we need Christians in parliament too. We need Christians working in the banks too. We need Christians that are working in the grocery store too. We need Christians that are, that are out, in, out there, not just coming in here. And so when we're out there, let's remember, dear Christians, that we are missionaries, that we are missionaries, um, and, and moving forward well in what God has called us to do. Because if we allow something like that to happen, and we end up saying, you know, I'm just going to act however I want, but then I'm going to turn it on on Sunday. You've completely missed the point. Number two, now we're talking about ourselves. Are you taking steps to fight sin and Satan's scheme? Did you know that when you signed up to be a Christian, that you're engaged in a warfare? Did you know that? Did you? I'm waiting for an, I'll wait for an answer. Because some of you may not have known that. You may not have realized that the biggest enemy that you have is not that bad old culture. The biggest enemy you have may not be the ones living in your house. The biggest enemy that you have is the one that's looking back at you in the mirror. That's your biggest enemy. Satan's pretty formidable too. But Christ is the one that rescues us. And so we every day make choices based upon our values. 
And if your value is, I'm going to go and I'm going to make me a lot of money, then that's going to inform your values about how you treat, a lot, treat other people. If your values are, I want people to think I'm really nice, then what's going to happen is you may compromise some hard things in the scriptures just so people won't dislike you. And some of you, you may be so hard on other Christians that you don't ever want to be around them because they can't be as good as you. Self-righteousness. It's a plague in our churches. And so when you're looking here, Jesus is now talking if your hand. Now he's talking about how you deal with you. If your hand causes you to sin, do what? What's it say? Cut it off. Are we clear that he's talking in hyperbole and he's not talking literally? Because if you think about it, all of us will be walking around handless, eyeless, and footless. Because there's something that he's telling us here. Let me just make sure we're getting the whole thing. If your eye, if your hand rather causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go into hell. And again, he says the same thing, verse 45. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. Verse 47, if your eye causes you to sin, cut it off. What's he saying here? Well, let's go piece by piece. Your eye, the things that you see. Are you looking at pornography? Are you watching a movie that is depicting things on TV that are only intended for the marriage bed? Are you thinking about that in your mind? Are you feeling self-righteous because I'm not doing that? Oh, be careful. Because you can still look at those eyes to look around at other people and feel really self-righteous that they're doing that and I'm not. Do you look at your spouse with adoration or do you look at your spouse with frustration because they're not living up to your expectations? The, the, when you're talking about here, let's talk about the hand. Are you taking things you shouldn't be taking? Are you, are you opening up your hands to the, to the poor and to the needy? Are you taking care? Are you making sure you're t- using your hands to take care of your family, to work, to be what God has called you to be, to use the gifts that God has given you, to work, and to use those gifts to serve others that are fellow followers of Jesus? And, of course, your foot. Hey, where are those feet taking you? You know that's where that song came from, right? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. You think I'm going to stop, don't you? I'm not. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. Let's talk about the hand. Oh, be careful, little hand. You get the idea. When we're doing all of these things, God is going from top to bottom Making sure that when we have given our all to him, we've given our all to him. That it's not a part-time job. This is a full-time life that he has given to us. Yeah, but I'm, I just need a break from God for a little bit. Can I tell you, that is something that I said early on and when I was really wanting to follow Jesus. I said that. I remember saying that. I just need a little break from God. I just want to listen to this song and I'll get back to it. It wasn't a nice song. And I'm like, well, that's honest, full honest, more honest than I expected. Where did that come from? We surprise ourselves in what may come across our minds, our mouths, our actions. But you know what we're really good at is justifying it. Boy, well, nobody saw me. I'm not as bad as that. 
They're way worse on TV. They're saying way worse stuff on TV than I've ever said. Hey, man, that's not the point. The standard is not your standard. The standard is not culture's standard. The standard is not mom and dad's standard. The standard is the holiness of God. And I'm telling you, when you understand the holiness of God, or at least you begin to dip your toenail into the holy, holy, holy pool of your spiritual life, then you're not going to be saying, well, that's, that, that's no big deal. You're going to be coming back to it like, I can't have that in my life anymore. God's called me to holiness, not mediocrity, not good enoughness. He's called me to holiness. And he says, strive for holiness, uh, Hebrews twelve four. Strive for holiness without which you will not see the Lord. Are you striving for holiness or are you just content where you are? And the problem now is, is that I honestly wonder if we in our churches really, how many of you would raise your hand and you say, I believe in a literal hell? How has that fact changed your life in your relationship with others? I would sit here for 15 seconds, but we're on air and... Somebody's going to probably come in in those 15 seconds. He's just standing there. I'm not going to do that. Okay. How does that change your life? Are you still graceless to people that are not like you? Are you still self-righteous to people that aren't as good as you? Are you looking down on people that just don't have it all together like you do? I don't know if if you believe in hell. Because if you believed in hell then you believe in a Savior that rescued you from it. And if you believe in a Savior that rescued you from it, then you're sure as shooting going to be wanting to go and help rescue somebody else from it. But as it is, and I'm preaching to myself, you got to understand, when I'm saying this, I am not, the only reason I'm standing up here is because I'm short. And this is tradition, because I want to make sure everybody is seeing me. But this is what was being preached to me this week. Because I get busy with administrative stuff that I need to do. I got to do it. I get busy with, you know, sometimes writing reports. I have to do that. I need to do that. You need to know what's going on. I get so busy sometimes with stuff that there can be times, there can be days that go by, times that go by, that I'm so busy with stuff that I forget what I'm supposed to be here for. And, I forget, and, and, I, and I'm here to make sure that I am preaching the word. And that's, I get that. But how much time am I spending with the lost? I'm spending a lot of time with church. And I'm glad to do it. Don't get me wrong. But if I'm spending so much time with some of that and, and justifying it away that I'm not spending time with the lost, do I really believe in a hell that they're going to if they die? And how many funerals have we had over the last three years, everybody? Whole big heap. We've had a lot of funerals over this year. I hope all of them are in heaven. I hope I see them again. But there's some funerals that I've done, I didn't didn't know them that well. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we don't know. But if we believe in a hell, we believe in a Savior that rescued us from hell, 
And therefore, those gospel conversations are going to come up because hell, it talks about unquenchable fire. Now, I believe, I, I don't believe that that's necessarily a literal fire. I'll, I'll, let, I'll let that sink in and see if, you, if I need to get my resume written. No, I think it's worse than that. It's worse than that. And this is where people who do not know the name of Jesus are going. So if I really believed in a hell, which I, I do here, and God is working on a here, and I, I believe it, because the Bible says it, I get it. If that hasn't changed us into sharing the gospel with people that don't know Jesus, then I don't know if we really believe it, if we really get it. But look how it's, being, it's described here. Verse 44 or 43. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go into the unquenchable fire. So this is not for the weekend. This is unquenchable fire. It goes on. Two eyes, verse 47, be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. I have actually come across someone Oh, a number of times over the years, but there was, there was someone very recently who did not believe in an eternal hell because they believed that that was unjust of God. Here's why. Why would God, why would God send you to hell for a sin, for all of eternity, for a sin that you committed in time or sins that you committed in time? That doesn't seem to be adequate. Now, and my response to them was, well, do you believe in an eternal heaven? And everybody always does. Everybody believes in an eternal heaven because God is loving and he's, he's gracious and he's merciful. And everybody believes in an eternal heaven, but, they all, but, but there, those that don't believe in, an eternal, believe in an eternal heaven, there are some that just don't believe in an eternal hell. But here's what it is. We go to hell, we are sent to hell because we have rejected the one who has rescued us from our sins. So we have rejected holiness, and holiness is eternal, therefore the consequence is eternal. What you are doing right now is going to count forever. Well, I don't believe that. You know, that's your right to believe what you want to believe. I just know that the majority of information that we get about hell is from Jesus. The majority of information. Jesus, right? Some people have appropriated Jesus because he's so loving and kind. And I just, you know, Jesus is, everybody wants Jesus on their side on every, every, everything in the culture. But you got to take all of Jesus. You can't just cherry pick him. You can't, you got to take all of what he said. And if you're taking all of what he said, he's saying these words. Now, why was that such a shock to the Jews? It's because if you read it in Leviticus 18 and all of the law, is that if you're maimed, you're unclean. So how could someone be maimed and be clean to be able to go into heaven? Because it's more to it than just what's going on with your body. We work so hard to get our bodies in some semblance of shape. I joke rounds of shape, but you know, we get our, you know, we try to get our bodies in such semblance of shape 
that we spend so much time talking about this part that we forget that we've got to make sure that we are doing even more to take care of our spiritual shape as well. What is, what is, what, what's happening here is that he's, he's talking to them and making sure that we are, it, it's better for you to make sure that you are taking business with your body, sacrificing something of your body, sacrificing a desire that is going to destroy you. You sacrifice that so you can be whole going into heaven. You, the culture's problem now is everything that they feel like that they identify with or desire, that it has to be right. It has to be good for them. And to say no to somebody is to be bad for them. When in reality, we've all done that. We can't categorize, oh, those people out there, and then, oh, we're okay. It's amazing how great we are at tearing people down for their sins out there and justifying our own sins. When in reality, we have to realize that there are hurting people that are going through this that have absorbed a philosophy that whatever is, you know, there was no king in the land and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Last verse of Judges. That's a philosophy that our culture has apprehended. And rather than looking at them and saying, you guys are just a bunch of so-and-sos and I can't believe you're doing that. I'm so much better. No, what you do is you realize your own brokenness. You realize your own sinfulness before a holy God. And then you're going to be more merciful to those who are going through something else. Because one of the reasons why the, the folks out there who are struggling with this don't want to have anything to do with the church is because we're high and mighty. We're holier than thou. We've forgotten our sinfulness. We've forgotten grace. That doesn't mean that you excise the truth. No, you still tell them about it, but if you're not around that, then you're not going to tell them about the truth because you're not there to tell them. But here we are. All of us are destined for hell. All of us are sinners in need of a sin. All of us, right? Can you say that with me? All of us are in need of a Savior, yeah, we just sin differently, but we still sin. And if we don't interact with the Savior, then we're going to stay in our sin and bear the consequences of the trajectory we've set in this life. But if we trust in Christ, then not only is the unquenchable fire not in our future, not only is the worm that never dies not in our future, but what's in our future is holiness and wholeness. And he'll be with us. That when we're tempted to sin, he reminds us by the Holy Spirit, don't get back. And he pulls us back from the ledge. Now, sometimes we're like, I don't want to be pulled back. And then we sin. But he's there to catch us. He's there to convict us. He's there to bring us back to where we need to be. And I want to spend the lion's share of that on, on, this, on this second point. Because the third point in verses 49 and 50, very quickly. For everyone will be salted with fire. That doesn't sound appealing, does it? Until you understand what's, be, what's happening here. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Well, what, what's the purpose of salt? Well, two things. One, salt is a preservative. They didn't have refrigerators back then. So when it's talking about that you are the salt of the earth, 
what the salt did was is that you, you cured like a piece of meat, like ham, right? If you've been back east, you know, you know what, what country ham is. It's some of the saltiest meat on the face of the earth. And here you are. But, you, but what you, you, would, you would cure it in the salt and you would wrap it up tight and you would put it in the ground. And that salt would work. It's preserving work in it. But if it wasn't wrapped tight, then what happened is some, some impurities would get in and then the meat would be ruined. So that's why he's saying you're salt of the earth. Don't let those impurities of the world come in. We need you here on earth to preserve the gospel. So that's getting back into your, your, in your environments, right? Don't start acting like them, right? You remember that you are a missionary and an ambassador for Jesus in whatever environment you're in, and I'm going to stay true, and not let those impurities in. Not let that gossip affect me. Not let the bad attitudes affect me. That's uh, contagious. Don't want to do that. But we've been, we've been over that before. But salt is also a purifier. And when you look, when you look at a passage like in, in Leviticus, let me read this to you very quickly. In Leviticus 2. Yeah, here we are in verse 13. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Salt was used by God to identify purity. So we are to preserve the gospel as influencers of the gospel in this world, and we are to stay pure in heart, in mind, in in our actions. What is he talking about? In our eyes in our feet, with our hands, top to bottom, staying pure, moving forward with what he has called us to do. In Proverbs 4, 23 to 27, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech. Well, that's your, you know, your mouth. And put away devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the left or to the, to the right or to the left and turn your foot away from evil. You see a residue of song, or Proverbs 4 on this passage that we're talking about here. We are to be pure. We are to be preserving. And we're to be at peace with everyone. So, let's ask some questions before we end our time today. If you were to take an inventory of your attitudes and your actions in front of others, are you causing them to sin? Or are, are, you, are you dampening the room or are you lifting the room? And if you're dampening the room, why? What do you need to bring before the Lord that is causing you to be a follower of Jesus and yet be so joyless? What's going on? And, and, and as you pursue that, it's going to be a painful process. But once he locks it in, once that penny drops, then you're going to see it. And that's your opportunity to repent. To confess that, to repent, to get where you need to be. Because these were not a seafaring people. And having a millstone that no one could move, except animals could move a millstone. It was so heavy. And to have that around your neck to be dropped to the bottom of the sea, that was the worst possible consequence for, for, a, for a regular Jew because they, didn't, they, didn't, they weren't seafaring people. They didn't want to have anything to do with water. And yet this is what Jesus is saying here. Are you causing somebody else by your attitude and by your actions to sin and to stumble? Repent of that. We've got to take care of each other in a better way. 
Where are your hands going? Where are your feet taking you? Where are, what are your eyes looking at? Where is your heart going? What, what's going on there? Because if you're not a follower of Jesus, then what's going to happen is you, yourself, unquenchable fire, worm doesn't die. But you say, I am a Christian. Do you have unrepentant sin in your life? That unrepentant sin in your life. Jesus dying on the cross was not a blank check for you to do anything that you want. Jesus dying on the cross was to send the Spirit to empower you to obey him, not to do whatever you want. And so if you're if your life is constantly and consistently with, with no desire to repent, no desire to get things right, no desire, but you're always justifying it, I'm okay, leave me alone, get that Bible away from me, I already know, I'm good, but you're still doing all of that stuff, that is an indicator that you were, have not been redeemed by grace. You are still living for you. Repent. Come to him. Don't use one thing that you did a long time ago to overcome a barrel full of unrepentant sin where God is not a part of your life at all. Let's be honest with where we're at in our lives and take an inventory and then move forward with the grace that he has extended to us. Do you desire to be pure in all things? Do you desire to be one who is preserving the gospel with your words and your actions and your thoughts? So, as we close, be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. You may have, we like keeping it close to the vest. We like, there's an old British show called Keeping Up Appearances. We, we love doing, we love to do that, keep up appearances. And the notion of confessing sin in front of somebody else, well, that may ruin our reputation. Are you more worried about the reputation you have here on earth? Are you worried about your reputation in heaven? You may never see us again. But him you will see. All of us are destined to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account. All of us. And one day he'll return. I pray that this would be the morning that you would make sure that if God is bringing something to your heart and mind, that you would say, no more. I'm yours. I'm all in. I'd rather have Jesus than anything. This is the morning to do that, to confess your sin and to repent and to come to him. He knows, already knows your sin. He already knows your issues. And yet he loved you enough to where he knew that he still died on the cross for you so that you would have that avenue to get right with him. He's provided everything that you need to do everything that he has commanded. Let's do it. Be revived this morning by the Holy Spirit. And let's do what he's called us to do in glorifying him and enjoying him forever. Heavenly Father, guide us in all that we do and say, use us for your glory. Father, I... I know that what you're asking of us is impossible by fleshly standards. But I thank you that you are helping us to rely on you and all that you've done. 
so that we're not relying on what we've done. We think that what we've done will keep us from you forever. Or sometimes we think of what we've done is enough for you to, to love us. It's all about the cross. We can be doing the right things for the wrong reasons. We can be doing the wrong things definitely for the wrong reasons. But Lord, whatever it is, if, if anything that we're doing is not based upon your grace and mercy and holiness, Monday through Saturday as well as Sunday, then Father, help us to repent. Please work this morning, Father. Please send your Holy Spirit into all of us to work in us so that we may be right with you in all things. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the empty tomb. Thank you for the hope that one day you'll come again. May we receive you with gladness. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing this wonderful hymn. I'd rather have Jesus, and hopefully it's a hymn that you'll be able to sing with full confidence. Let's sing together.